Hello and welcome to The True Shall Make You Frat, a podcast in which we're usually reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discord series, one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. I'm Francine Carroll. We've got a very special episode today. Quick note on spoilers. Uh, we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discord series past Thud. And of course, we're saving any and all discussion of the final Discord novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. On the overnight train to Edinburgh, which is a segue into our special guest. The uh, award-winning... <laughs> Good for us, Joanna. Thank <laughs> you. Dramatic. The... Award-winning, one of the award-winning biographers of Terry Pratchett, <laughs> Mark Burrows oh, is joining us today. Welcome, Mark. Hello. I was recently described by Pat Harkin, who I believe has also been a guest recently, oh, yeah. as um, almost 51% of the current biographers of Sir Terry Pratchett. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, and, uh, and I've been described by Rob Wilkins as the mono-award-winning uh, <laughs> Rob, of course, has just won the Hugo for his biography and will occasionally remind me that he has now won three awards uh, for his book to my one. But who's counting? <laughs> That's certainly Rob, no, Rob, nobody on Rob, this call. <laughs> Rob's counting. Uh, so am I, but I don't know. It's uh, uh, Yes, hello. Lovely to be back. Hiya. Good to see you, man. You've been travelling. I have in the last let's see in the last three months I have been to Edinburgh as we will discuss in Scotland which I do believe is a country. Uh, I've in fact, heard. I know it's I, I know it's a country uh, where my girlfriend is from and she will absolutely glare at me if I don't say that Scotland is a proper country. She's glaring at me now. Okay, uh, so, <laughs> down in black and white. There uh, we go. <laughs> I know I know Scotland is a country. Don't worry. Uh, so yeah, I've been to Scotland and then I went to Spain uh, and then I went to France and to Versailles for Manny's birthday, which was amazing. Uh, and then I've been to Ireland to the Irish Discworld Convention. Um, and now I'm in Bristol, where I've recently rehomed myself. Uh, <laughs> you sound like a rescue cat. <laughs> I am very much like a rescue cat in, a, in that I will piss on the carpet and scratch you. Uh, yeah. But once I calm down, I'm good company. Put on a fell away and I'm absolutely yeah. fine. Uh, yeah, it's been a very busy few months. I'm really looking forward to doing nothing for a good rest of the year. Perfect. That sounds great. Uh, Mark, while you were in Edinburgh, you, um, as we're going to talk about, interviewed quite a few people related to the world of Terry Pratchett. Do you want me to give you the context of why I was interviewing people? Yeah. Absolutely. So I was performing a show, a one-man stand-up show at the Edinburgh Fringe. If you don't know what the Edinburgh Fringe is, it's a big, it's basically the entire month of August is taken over in the city of Edinburgh in Scotland by comedians and artists and um, and drama students and actors and improvisers uh, who are the closest thing to deserving the scorpion pit that the Fringe has. Uh, <laughs> and all that sort of thing. Uh, every back room above a pub and cellar and cupboard uh, is converted into a venue for for shows, for performances. Um, it is the biggest arts festival in the world. It's incredible. I've performed there many, many times. And this year I took up a show called The Magic of Terry Pratchett, which is based on my mono award winning book. Um <laughs> You have seen, you two saw the pre an early preview of The Magic of Terry Pratchett uh, when did. I when we did a, a little collab a few months ago. And that was only the third ever performance, I think, um, in Berry. And uh, you know, thanks to all the listeners who came because it was really nice to meet people. And I've met a lot of them again since then. Oh, cool. uh, the show's come on a lot since then. And it's, uh, you know, it went really well. And it's, you know, it's a kind of comic lecture come one man show about 
the life and work of Sir Terry Pratchett. And it's uh, funny and people cry at the end and occasionally people heckle in inappropriate places. Um, but yeah, I did it at the end of a fringe in a big 150 seat space. It sold out quite a few times. I was one of the top 40 best reviewed shows at the fringe, um, which when you consider there are over 4,000 shows. I was going to ask, yeah. Oh, excellent. That's um, a good percentage. <laughs> went well, four star reviews, five star reviews, uh, all went to my Ooh. head. Uh, I, I drank champagne and did drugs. Out of a shoe? Out of a sh- <laughs> I did drugs out of a shoe and snorted champagne off a mirror. Uh, <laughs> and then I woke, up in, I woke up in A&E with a terrible head cold. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, no, it was a, it was a good time to have oil, but it's part of the show. But basically, I did the first an hour of the show, and then um, I did a second hour immediately afterwards. Uh, meaning, I did two back to back stand up shows across wow. an entire month, uh, which almost killed me. And I'm never going to do it again, especially since I was also doing a late night stand up show, a proper like stand up. Um, but the second show was in a smaller room just next door, and it would be the sort of nerd out show. I would call it like the Doctor Who Confidential, mm. the Thrones cast, the inserts bonus podcast extra show, BBC Three companion thing here. <laughs> Press the red button um, to get to the next room. Exactly, yeah, and so that's what we. So, and every day, most days, I had a guest, and I, I, I would, I would talk about the show and talk about Terry some more, and because the main show is very PowerPointy and very, mm. very kind of structured, so I do a much looser Q and A, much like we did at the preview in Berry when the, the yeah, second cool. first half ended the show, second half, the three of us took the stage and 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 pissed about basically, yep. <laughs> and so I did a. I did a pissing match show and I had some really good guests, uh, people like Mitch Ben, Stuart Goldsmith, people like Rob Wilkins, mm. the Tri Award winning, the second biographer of Terry Pratchett. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it was um, uh, John Robertson, who does a show called The Dark Room, is very good. Juliet Burton, who's an amazing comic. Vix Layton, who's an amazing comic. Basically, anybody at the Fringe who I'd heard a rumour was a Terry Pratchett fan, I hunted down and got them to come and talk on my show. And it was a lot of fun. Perfect. So you did a, a month of this. A month of three stand-up shows a day, three hours yeah. of stand-up a day, plus yeah. uh, I generally did, <laughs> did a couple of other spots of 10 minutes here and there every day. Uh it, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> have you recovered it's, yet? I have now. Yeah, I have. Uh, the last it was. I have honestly. I've never been as tired in my entire life. Like uh, we normally, the fringe shows finish on the Sunday, the last Sunday of August. Um, but some of them, the ones in bigger venues, basically the ones that are bringing in a bit of money, so which mine included, um, they ask to do the last day as well, the Monday. Mm. bank holiday monday and i remember getting up on bank holiday monday and thinking i have got nothing there is nothing oh. left in the tank i am com- I've, i am completely scooped out like my voice was barely holding together i and i was just and i i was i couldn't face i couldn't face moving and i i got to the gig and the gig was fine and the gig was good and in fact because the show after me wasn't on that day i overran um, oh, right. I did an extra and did an extra 15 minutes and then I did the same with the last uh I called the second show the footnotes I did the mm. same with the footnote show although I turned out I'd been misinformed in the was show after mine for that one oh. and they were <laughs> not happy they were not happy but I, I got through the show like I got once I got into the show I had a drink it's all you know the the adrenaline comes yeah. doctor theater as they say the show was a really great performance it was one of my favorites of the whole run it was I just basically you know when these people say I just left it all on the stage mm-hmm. it was it was really like I've got nothing else I'm just this is this is 
it there's scrape and i that was a really weird experience about i don't know 45 minutes after the show fit after the second show finished where i was sat in the box office room in the office back sort of behind talking to the staff there and getting my stuff together and i could i became very aware of the adrenaline leaving my body and very aware that that was all that was keeping me upright and suddenly realizing that I had like that I could feel myself just sort of crumbling and I literally had to go do you know what guys I've got to go home yeah (laughs) I need to go I need to go back to my hotel and get some sleep because I there's nothing here and then the next day I was supposed I had to I was selling books obviously um and I had to go back to the venue to pick up the books I had left and I was meant to drop like these boxes of books somewhere else and I just and then get the train home and i just i just couldn't i had nothing i had a minor breakdown in the premier in breakfast buffet on my own excellent album title yeah <laughs> also who's among us hasn't who's among us yeah uh, the night the night before because i my digs had kicked me out i'd been staying in like these kind of posh student halls for the whole mm. run and then they kicked me out that day and i had to get a premier in for the last night and i was really looking forward to a nice comfy night's sleep and through the window all i could hear was oh fuck and and it kept waking me up all night so the next day i was i was a mess i i vomited on the way to the train station i had to ring up a friend of mine and just go i cannot get these books i am not i can't i just can't do you mind picking them up for me and then i just like got on the train home and i don't need i I don't even know how i made it onto the train and i just never felt that level of exhausted in my entire life and i've done the fringe before this is not my first fringe yeah um, i've done the full run before but i've never done three hours of stand-up a day before <laughs> i have no idea how i did it and it's it was a silly thing to do um but yes i mean it's november now so i nearly so we, as we <laughs> as, as we're talking it's halloween i'm sure i don't know when this is going out uh but um yeah so i had a nice holiday in spain with my girlfriend what happened when i went to spain is when i decided not to do any work i didn't take my laptop with me i just took my ipad which does have a keyboard but i was like i'm not going to do any proper work and I wrote the first 10,000 words of a novel. So, Oh, that's very excellent. cratchit. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Which is now 30,000 words in. And uh, the books I should be writing, I'm not because I'm writing a novel. Uh, so well, that's, that's exciting. We that's a very exciting way to procrastinate. Yeah, it's just uh, I'm incapable of not monetizing my hobbies. I wouldn't know anything about that. No, certainly no. not, Joanna. <laughs> no. So the, the good side of it, it must have been fucking fantastic to get such a positive reaction at the fringe it's the best fringe show i mean i've done this is my ninth solo show the fringe um oh jesus and and i've never i've never done a show that has gone this well uh but i've never done a show that has meant so much to me either um there's a lot of me in it i don't talk about myself very much but there's a lot of my sense of humor and my personality Mm. and things i care about and it's very much about it's it's about it's not just about this man terry pratchett it's it's about the power of storytelling yeah and how stories affect our lives and how we live the stories that we tell about ourselves versus the stories that we are taught that other people tell about us versus the stories we use to explain the universe. Obviously, that's all very Discworld. That's that's mm. you know the, the fundamental tenet of Discworld. But it's um it's quite an emotional story to tell, obviously. Mm. It took a lot to do, but I was so proud of it. And oh, I had huge fans in every day. So you kind of felt like you couldn't let them down. But I also had people who'd never heard of Terry. Well, they'd heard of Terry, but they'd never read one of his books. They'd read wow. one of his books years ago. And I, I actually had a, a, like in the first week, I got pulled aside by some woman 
outside the venue who just said, oh, I saw your show yesterday. I just wanted to say I went with my husband because he's a big fan, but he couldn't go in the end because he was ill. And I thought, what the hell? I've got the ticket and it's the best thing I've seen. And I'm... And that I got a lot of that sort of thing. A lot of the reviews were from people saying, I've never read a Terry Pratchett book, but I still love the show. And I just, I hoped, you know, you hope that would happen. And you write it trying to, like, you know, I wanted it to do that. It's what yeah. I wanted to happen. But you yeah. never know if you've pulled it off. Um, And the numbers were great. The first time I got on the sold out board outside the venue, I was <laughs> I was just over the moon and because it's that was in the gilded balloon which is a really respected venue mm. and normally i'm on the free fringe which is great if you've ever been to the fringe the free fringe is kind of the bread and butter of the fringe these days but yeah it was um it was so much fun and i was so proud of what i did i'm still proud of, i know that show is going to run and run i did it in london a couple of weeks ago at the mm. bloomsbury theater i did it at the irish Discworld convention and then i'm, I'm off on tour next year um yeah I think, Currently 20 odd, 20 odd shows booked to the minute across January, February, March, and April. Blimey. Are uh, they up on your site? Uh, yes, the, but there's still quite a lot to come that haven't been a hundred percent confirmed yet, but there's about, mm-hmm. I think 14 or 15 on my, on muckborough.co.uk. But yeah, the first show is in Belfast in January. And then mm-hmm. I have a bit of a break. And then about a month later, I basically, I'm doing it like once or twice a week for the next month and a half belfast um, will be flattered that they're the one city you needed a month to recover from <laughs> exactly uh, and i've never been to belfast so i'm really excited about that but yeah i'm doing all over the place art centers proper theaters up and down the country that's I mean, so exciting so yeah i really i'm really i've been it's be nice to have some time to do other stuff but yeah it's yeah. Uh, i'm gonna be <laughs> gonna be I'm, I'm quite pleased i don't have to think or talk about terry pratchett for the next two months though because i'm <laughs> I, I feel a bit i feel a bit pratcheted out now and i need a i That's feel like fair. i need a bit a bit of a rest and then i thought god my, god imagine how rob wilkins feels <laughs> <laughs> and then presumably counts his money and he's fine yeah. so i am um, uh, also probably doesn't do three hours of stand up a day for a month at the fringe mm. no that's true he did come up though he did he came up and did um he came up and did did the q a afterwards and he sat at the back of the room with uh, for the uh, which was really nerve-wracking because he's oh, he's in the sh- he's in the show there's a yeah. video with him in the show that he did especially for it and i talk about him in the show and i, I was like i was desperate I was really hoping nobody would meant, would notice him because it, it didn't want to distract from it. Um, Colin Smythe came to see it in London, oh, wow. which was also quite nerve wracking because Colin features in the show too. Yeah, uh, and sent me some corrections afterwards, oh. which is a very <laughs> Colin Smythe thing to do. They were very minor. They were very minor corrections. He's also asked me if I could change the photo of him that I used. And the more I did it, the more I'd meet people who knew who'd met Terry. Mm. Uh, there's a bit in the in the show where I talk about what Terry does on his first day as a journalist. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's not seen it. But um, there's a famous story Terry tells about what happened to him as his first day as a journalist. And I mm. go into the truth of that. And um, a guy like pulled me aside afterwards and went i used to work at the books free press with terry <gasps> i can tell you exactly what he did oh, in you're his first fucking days kidding journalist. me oh my uh, god oh you must have been like half kicking yourself though. <laughs> like, I, I can tell you if you want what terry did on his first day as a journalist i mean yes please <laughs> oh. <laughs> i feel like um, i should bleep that yeah yes bleep it yeah, um, I will. But and then if anybody lot, wants to know, they can tweet Mark. But um, yeah, so I met <laughs> lots. I met people who knew Terry. Uh, I, I met lots of fans. 
I, I could always tell when there was a big Discworld fan there because they'd be sat in the front row. Uh, they oh, always yeah. big big fans always sit on the front row and they always cry. So, oh. uh, I, <laughs> and I was also I couldn't believe I was allowed to do this. I was given permission to hand out a little booklet in every show mm. uh, that had four of Terry's 1970s newspaper stories in them oh, um, wow. that hadn't been republished since anywhere. They're not the new ones that, that have been found. These are non-fiction um, newspaper stories, columns. Um, oh, okay. And, I, and uh, I was given permission to reproduce a booklet of Terry Pratchett stories. It's called Tales from Round World. I now I've now done a slightly expanded version to sell at the at the shows, and it's called Terry Pratchett Tales from Round World. It's a Terry Pratchett book tale, called Tales from Round World, and then underneath it says annotated and compiled by Mark Burroughs. And Good grief. And I'm really proud of that because I think there's a lot of stuff there that people, there's a lot of stuff there that people have never read, but it's really good. Yeah. Terry wrote some great stuff in the seventies and in the sixties and seventies, uh, non great nonfiction stuff. Like I, um, I unearthed the interview he did with Roald Dahl in 1968. Right. Uh, that's in there. And an interview he did with a witch, a self, a self-confessed IRL witch in 1973. And there's loads of stuff in that interview that pops up in Discworld books. Like I, I'm pretty sure it's the first time in print he makes the joke about witches dancing without their drawers uh. and how that, in a, in the English climate, that doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, and there's stuff about old women who are mistakenly mistaken for being witches yeah. who meet uh, meet grizzly ends in the, and how unfair that is. And, oh, wow. uh, the, it, and you, you can see all these ideas. And then there's a couple of... Um, satirical pieces he wrote in the late 70s and you can see the voice of Discworld coming right there's a a letter the article's called I bet she knows where her lot are it's a letter from a working mum from Bristol writing to Prince Charles uh about him suggesting that uh men young men could uh, keep themselves off the streets by volunteering mm. and it's it's her thoughts about that and it's it's, mm. it's something along the lines of I saw your article in on page four of a uh, uh, page four of the sun and was so impressed I cut it out leaving her, uh, although I was pointed out by our Shane our Shane and our Darren I oh. mentioned in it pointed out by our Shane that uh, that on the back was on the reverse was page three and I had left the young lady thereupon in nothing but two socks and a sailor hat uh, <laughs> and how, so 1977 that was and how perfectly Terry Pratchett is that is that sentence the young lady thereupon with nothing but two socks and a sailor hat so um yeah, Lanker, uh, as, yeah as as proud as I was of doing the show I was also really proud that I got that I got to present these wonderful pieces of writing for, to people who'd never read them before yeah um, so technically I know there are two Pratchett related books out this autumn technically there's three wow. uh um but one of them is only available from my live shows <laughs> uh but it was an amazing experience and uh I don't think I'll ever have an Edinburgh Fringe like that again I'm yeah. going to go back next year for a shorter run and yeah. just do um i Maybe. think we're look we're looking at it now and doing a doing a, a short run but then this show is gonna run and run i imagine it's gonna be on it's basically gonna be on off being can be on tour in one way or another forever i'm doing at the yeah. discord convention next year as well the international discord convention in birmingham in august oh lovely so, we'll see it again then yep yes well you you get to see the um, yes yeah, so i was i am i am hoping you get you you, you you lot would be there and you get to see the finished version, the proper version. Yeah. Well, exciting. Come, I mean, come sit in Colchester. Uh, but yeah. Oh yeah. All... No, that's, 
good and close, actually. So the footnote show then, the interview show for the hardcore fans afterwards, how did that come about? Was that always planned or? Yeah, well, it's partly because when I've done the show in, like we did in Barry St. Edmunds, like mm-hmm. we did a second half of the show that was much looser, which was a Q&A. And I can't remember if I interviewed you or you interviewed me. Uh, but then I we just the took- audience just interviewed us. Yeah, exa- well, exactly. People always have questions. They always want to talk. Um, they always want. They always want to bring talk about their favorite books. They want to ask me if I'd ever met Terry and what my favorite books is, or ask me what I thought of this or that new TV show, mm. or what I thought was going to happen in the future, or all of this sort of things, um, or what I knew about this or that. Or they just wanted to share their own stories to Terry. People just wanted. To, every time I've done a show, people have always wanted to come together and talk about it. And every time I've done a reading from the book, the same things happened. Um, so I really wanted to keep that, but there was no time in the main show. Yeah. Like it's only an hour long and I struggled to keep everything in that hour. So basically I, I, I asked the Gilded Balloon, the venue, if I, if they'd mind, if I told people at the end of the gig, I'm going to be in the bar. If you want to come and talk to me about Terry and you've got any, any questions, come meet me in the bar and we'll have a little, and basically I had this idea that there'd be like almost like a, a little salon in the bar afterwards every day. And I, you know, just a chance for people to chat. And they said, oh, we can do better than that. Why don't you have a small venue and we'll charge people five pound for a ticket? Hmm. And then, and then I thought, oh, I can't charge people five pound just to ask me questions. I'm going to have to write a show now. Uh, so <laughs> I wrote, so I wrote, you know, I wrote a 20 minute kind of opening section where I talk about the show and I talk about how how it came about and some extra stuff about Terry, where I tell Terry's favorite joke on stage and you have to come and see it to do that. But it was always my favorite bit of the entire day, every day. Mm-hmm. And then I don't leave room for questions to the audience. And then I also thought it would be good to have a guest. But basically, I thought that will fill some time. Uh, like That's the idea is that I can do. I can do 20 minutes, then we have 10 minutes of interviewing a guest, and then we have 10 minutes of um, of audience Q&A. What usually happened is we'd have 10 minutes of me at the top and then 40 minutes of Q&A. But it's, uh, it, yeah, that's how that came about. So one of the specific people you interviewed, you very kindly provided us with the audio for today. Yes. Do you want the background of this one? Because it's not because uh, it's not my finest moment, but I, I feel like I should give you some context. We will yeah. take some context. Yeah, let's start with the context for this one. So every, as I said, every day I did this bonus show and I had a special guest. Now, every single day, uh, the main show would do between 80 and 150 people. And it was always felt busy. It was always fun. It sold out every sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was like, you know, so I was very proud of that. And I was, I'd I'd come off stage and I'd do this big show in a big room to loads of people. And then I go straight next door to the smaller space, which only held about 40 people. And usually I'd have an audience of about 20, like hardcore fans. The main show was meant to be accessible to everybody. You didn't have to be a, a big fan. The, the second show was more for hardcore fans. Mm. And usually I'd get about 20 people. When Rob did it, we sold it out. But usually it'd be between sort of 15. I think the lowest I'd got had been like 12. Mm. But at the Edinburgh Fringe, that is, you know, that's still good numbers. There are people who got no people or one person and then went on twitter and said so and oh, then mysteriously that. in a in massively and then mysteriously uh got loads more people due to the very very clever piece of pr they'd done um the same but, as the one they um, did the year before right <laughs> yeah not that i'm being cynical anyway so normally the, normally the number's good now i really wanted to get john Coulshaw. john Coulshaw. Uh, the brilliant impressionist and comedian and actor uh, who has been the voice of the new Discworld audiobooks for the God series. Mm. 
Um, and he was also doing a, a show at the Fringe in the same uh, venue as me. He was in a much bigger room, obviously. He was in the, like the sort of 500 capacity space. Um, but And it was immediately before mine. His show was, uh, I think, three till four, and mine was four till five or something like that. So I desperately wanted to get John Coltshaw. And it took me ages to track him down and find an email. And uh, his agent didn't reply to my email. And then so I managed to, uh, uh, you know, ask a friend of a friend of a friend. And I eventually got an email for John Coltshaw. I dropped him a line and he said, oh, I'd love to do it. Love to do it. Absolutely. Of course. Can I do it today? And I and this was a Wednesday. Oh. And I thought, and I tried to say, well, you know, you're a big guest. I'd rather you did one of the weekend shows now and then i've got some time to also you know advertise it a bit mm. no well no i can't really do the weekend i'd love to do today and i was like oh okay this is wednesday okay you can do wednesday bear in mind smallest audience i'd had so far 12 biggest 40 for this second show seven tickets we sold seven oh. tickets seven tickets that was it <sighs> uh and uh i was mortified I was so embarrassed because it was the biggest, apart from Rob, the, in fact, John Coulter is more famous than Rob Wilkins. Like, if, if, apart from Rob, he was the most significant guest that I'd had. Mm. And I was so embarrassed and so devastated. Uh, he was so lovely. He was, he couldn't have been nicer about it. And I basically said, do you mind? I basically thinking on my feet was like, well, can we do the show anyway? It's always a fringe. This always happens. It's like, it doesn't happen to you. I was in your show today. <laughs> I'd been to see his show that day. It sold out to like 500 people. It was oh. rammed. It always went up 15 minutes late because it took that long to get everybody in their seats. Uh, but so he was like, he was very sweet about it. Very nice about it. And I basically, I thought on my feet and said, do you mind if I record this for a podcast? I have some friends who do a Terry Pratchett podcast and I think this would be great content for them. Um, and he said, oh yes, of course, of course. Uh, tell you, and then and he lovely turned to me and he said, don't be embarrassed, Mark. It's fine. We just changed the context. We put on our broadcasting hats. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Oh. <laughs> God bless uh, of course, how do I, had I planned to record this, I would have recorded it in beautiful crystal clear detail. I'd have set up some proper microphones. I'd have taken a feed from the desk. All I had was two minutes in my iPhone. So mm -hmm. the interview you're going to hear was recorded by from my iPhone on the mixing desk at the back of the room. Perfect. Uh, um, <laughs> fortunately, uh, Francine's audio skills have dramatically cleaned this up. Like It sounded substantially worse before francine yes. got her hands on yes. it so remember uh, this guys i did i did do something to it <laughs> so i should apologize for the audio quality so um you're gonna so what you're gonna hear in a bit uh i guess when we get to it uh is uh, myself and john Coulshaw on stage at the edinburgh fringe um discussing john's approach to the audiobooks which by the way are really good I, mm. I i i think i say this in the interview but i genuinely was i was listening to each of the new readers because they're very yeah. good india rama are doing the witch books is, is amazing jason isaac's doing the doing moving pictures is really really good um can we listen to matthew bain and doing doing um the truth uh the truth and that's great but um i heard guard i listened to guards guards and i enjoyed john Coulshaw doing it so much because he's such a good voice actor he really and he is. Dis he differentiates the characters so well that I just rolled straight into Men at Arms. And then after Men at Arms, I rolled straight into uh, Feet of Clay and then straight into Jingo and then straight into Fifth Elephant. And then I think by the time you're hearing the um, you, you, the interview, I was halfway through Nightwatch. And yeah. it's really odd because I was on stage talking to him, listening to him do these voices. And I had been listening to Nightwatch 
and and before for the French, I'd only pretty much been listening on my walks to and from the venue before I went to sleep at night. I'd been listening to John Coulshaw read these books. So suddenly I was on stage with him and the voice was right there. That must have been a really surreal feeling. <laughs> it was an experience and also a feeling I um uh because I've also spent time. Um I interviewed Nigel Planer, who did the oh. first load of Unabridged Discworld books audiobooks for the book and you know same thing sat there listening to that voice and then two weeks ago at the irish discworld convention i was one of the judges of the masquerade um, costume competition alongside stephen briggs and (laughs) after so me stephen briggs and jan clark knee harkin um all the other way around uh went and sat in a little room to discuss who should win the masquerade and i was ah. sort of like listening to stephen briggs's voice and it was another one of those things where i was like wow i'm ticked off all the audiobook readers but the, the really surreal one was john Coulshaw because i had been listening to it literally that morning and to go to sleep the night before yeah so it was a really odd experience to do it but also he's so generous with doing the voices which i really mm. really liked uh he, he's he's like every impressionist i've ever met he's happy to just jump into the voice and he really um, flips uh, between them doesn't he no no yeah. little hesitation following it together just yeah just mid-sentence no. yeah straight in and it's so it's so cool uh so i really like to see that I, the only real prep i did apart from listening to the books is i, I is rob text me uh, when i told him i was doing it to say to say i should ask him about patrick moore yeah because he'd met he you'll hear this in the in the interview but he uh, used to go to patrick moore's stargazing nights where with terry and rob and he was like you need to get him to talk about patrick moore because that way you'll get a patrick moore impression but he started talking about Patrick Moore, but he was didn't he didn't do an impression. He started actually talking about him very earnestly, mm. and and I was like, oh, he's not going to do an impression now, is he? Because uh, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's <laughs> you being he's, he's being all serious. And then he did eventually slip into he, he he did slip it in, and I was very very happy with that. Um, so yeah, and you get the full range of John Coulshaw impressions as well. You know, the Boris Johnson is in there. It was a yeah. delight. It was it was such a thrill. I was. I noticed like him speaking in his normal voice, so to speak. He he keeps that storyteller cadence in between, doesn't he? As well, mm, I wonder if does, that's because yeah. he's gone to broadcasting voice. Now you said that. Well, yeah. Well, also on stage voice because he. I, yeah. I'd just seen him do his like that morning. I'd seen him or at the afternoon. I'd seen him do his stand-up show, which obviously is impressions. But he, but the impressions are linked with bits of context, mm. and it's the same voice. It's absolutely the same voice. So it's. Uh, I think he was doing his on-stage voice, but also, you know, he's an impressionist. He's a broadcaster. He has beautiful diction. Yeah, and it is. Uh, it was. You know, it was. A, it was a treat to hear it. Do you have? I mean, obviously, apart from say Rob Wilkins and and lovely John Colshaw, whose interview we've got today, did you have any kind of favourite conversations you had doing that one, or any favourite interviewees? Uh, there's a, a comic called John Robertson who is an uh, Australian comic. He does a show called The Dark Room, which is one of the best things you can... You'll, if, you ever, if, the, if John Robertson's The Dark Room is coming near you, go to see it. Okay. It's, it's like... It's, it's, uh, it's an interactive role, uh, text-based role-playing game uh, done oh. as a stand-up show. It's like a cross between Nightmare with the, with the audience. It's like Nightmare, the TV show that you were both too young for, uh, <laughs> combined with the audience from the Rocky Horror Show. Like it's, oh, uh, wow. 
I because everyone who went had seen it before, and it's um, there's a bit where he goes where he starts it properly and he goes, "You awake to find yourself in a dark room," and then everyone around me went, "You awake to find yourself in a dark room," and I went, "Oh my <laughs> god, how have I missed this?" But it was but he's uh, John is a big Terry, Terry Pratchett fan, so he came on a couple of okay. times, and he was always really fun and really interesting. Um, and then Mitch Ben was really good. He had some stories about meeting Terry. That were great. Rob was fantastic. I mean, put Rob in front of an audience and and he yeah. lights it up. He's really good. Um, me and Rob and I, the the Burroughs Wilkins double act is now pretty f- well oiled. Oh, excellent. so the um, so we you know we we bounce off each other very well. But yeah, he told me he, he gave us some plots on stage from Discworld novels that never happened that I hadn't heard about before. Oh, wow. uh, including the including the death of Lord Vetinari. And how Terry had planned to kill off Lord Vetinari. He told that story on stage. And it's got an excellent twist at the end, which you probably can see coming. But it's, uh, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, yeah, it was really cool. And then, you know, but also, like, you didn't have to have, like, big fans doing it for it to work. I made friends with the the box office manager because she was a huge Terry Pratchett fan. Her name was Jasmine who joanna met three days ago when we went to see rihanna pratchett's talk yeah um, and jasmine Jazz, was very lovely she was lovely she was the box office manager of the gilded balloon but she you know we she uh loved terry pratchett so as soon as she realized who i was she was like oh i love terry pratchett i can't wait to see your show and she was so like um effervescent and she had so much so many interesting things to say on the subject of terry pratchett when we were discussing the books i was like you've got to you've got to come on and be a guest and she was one of the best guests i did because she had the because she just she had this brilliant light touch um mm. and she asked everyone in the audience which three Discworld characters they were comprised of which is a really good question not which mm. character is your favorite which are the three that make up you and that's cool i, I love that uh which you can now all you're now all thinking of yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> i'm and, less a fan of that question because you picked mine for me when i saw you a few days ago Oh, what was it? Oh, Sorry, I'm just going to bring up this drama. What? <laughs> yeah, let's let, 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 let's just. I, I don't think we need to get into bringing that. out my staring spoon. Come on, come on. <laughs> I don't think we need I to forgot. talk about how you said knobby knobs was one of them. <laughs> In fairness, I well, he's changed... got his own spoon. <laughs> he does have his own spoon. In fairness, I I swapped it out for young nanny op. After I asked you to. <laughs> but yeah that also felt more that also felt better uh yeah. hang on let me let me let me think let me do francine hang on i mean francine is susan tiffany and william de word oh yeah. no that's pretty flattering love that do, do you know what yours are i think mine are um jeffrey mm-hmm. uh a, a character on the horizon king verence the second Ooh. uh and i think a bit of william de word as well nice and what what were your other two joanna uh, I actually can't remember now. <laughs> I got I very said stuck la- on the knobby knobs thing. <laughs> I said Lady Sybil. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember who the second one was. I mean, Angua, I'd say. Oh, I think you said Agnes, which is... Did I say Ag- Yeah, I did say Agnes. You yeah. do have great hair and a lovely personality. Yeah, no, that is true. That's what mm. a lot of people say about me. And I do do very amusing tricks with my boils, so maybe I am a bit... <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> And your love language is having handfuls of mollusks thrown at you. <laughs> it's the only way to communicate with me. With a firmly thrown whelk. And a, and a squint in both eyes, yes. <laughs> right. We, <laughs> much like the uh, the two-eyed squint, we're getting a little off track. So, 
a quick look at audiobooks before we go to the second half of the podcast. The new audiobooks. Have you finished listening to them yet? I've listened to one from each reader. I haven't listened to all of them, but I have listened. I've listened to at least one book from each reader, uh, which I wanted to do. And do you think there's a particular narrator you feel like really nailed the stories? Uh, I mean, everyone, none of them are bad. Everyone does pretty well. Um, Like some of them are much better than others. The ones where you really notice um, Jason Isaacs doing moving pictures. Now, Jason Isaacs is, uh, you know, a Hollywood character actor. And because he's a Hollywood guy, because he's a movie guy, mm-hmm. he gets all those incl- all those um uh all those little nuances that are that are in that book. Yeah. Um John Aswell just you'll hear does a wonderful job. John Culture does a wonderful job. The other one, the best actually though, I think the best of the lot is Indira Varama um doing the witch's books. Uh, I, I don't haven't know listened if you're aware to that of, yet, so that's I don't know if you're aware of her. Uh, she's in Game of Thrones. She was in one of the Sand Snakes. Uh, she was in the recent Obi-Wan Kenobi show. She's also done Eric. quite a lot of voice acting. I was quite surprised looking her up to find out she's been in a lot of my favourite video games. Has she? Yeah. Well, it doesn't surprise oh. me because she's really, really good. She does Nanny Og as, as Cornish. And, oh, perfect. Um, this like this oh oh Margaret come over here and it's really like <laughs> dark. and she finds jokes in Nanny's dialogue that I don't think Terry even wrote. Oh. I genuinely think she finds inflections in the performance and squeezes jokes out of it that aren't even oh. on the page. I'm gonna get and, Witches of Raw and listen to that then. That's got to be. and it's it's really worth it. Um, she, and she does she gives Granny more of a kind of a, a brisk kind of London accent, mm-hmm. um, a kind mm-hmm. of like a, a working class London, and then she does Magra as um, a kind of a cross between Jane Horrocks and Carolina Hearn, which uh, is fairly perfect for Magra. <laughs> yeah, which is this, this kind of yeah, just kind of sort of wide eyed, sort of northern, and a little bit kind of a wet hen. Yeah, but they're they're, they're generally good because uh, if you've read if you've listened to the original audiobooks, particularly the very early ones, mm. I mean back then audiobooks or as books on tape as were uh, weren't taken very seriously. They were a niche thing. They weren't like a thing that loads of people listen to. They were you know they were almost an accessibility box tick. To make sure that um, the people who struggled to right. read might uh, they and they weren't something that were really taken very seriously. Um, yeah. And if you listen to the very, especially the earlier the Nigel Planer ones, the audio quality is dreadful. Oh, it is, yeah, uh, yeah. And they they weren't they just weren't done. You know, they're, they're well performed, but they weren't. But they're not especially well produced. Now, audiobooks <laughs> are such a big thing. I totally yeah. see why they wanted to do to why Robin Narrativa Tivia wanted to go back and produce you know produce mm. them properly and oh absolutely i think it's good do call. a really good job uh and they've you know they've they've composed a huge sweeping orchestral theme that they use yeah. for all of it um which is way better than the kind of if you watch the old like that i know and i know this is a sole subject of francine but if you watch the <laughs> 90s cosgrove hall con- ca- cartoons <laughs> Like uh like know, the they give, <laughs> they have this this jaunty but this is like no, we are taking these seriously. Here is a big orchestral sweeping yeah. 
majestic piece of music um and then you know peter serafinowicz's death is so perfect uh mm. they they're they're really beautifully produced i haven't what i haven't heard yet is the is the stroke of the pen audiobook oh, where yeah. they basically got everybody everyone who's ever done a pratchett audiobook and a few other people or has and I think almost everybody in it has got a connection to Pratchett. Like Tony Robinson does one, Nigel Planer does one, Stephen Briggs does one, John Coulshaw does one, Indy Varama does one, uh, and then it uh, Rihanna Pratchett does one, Rob Wilkins does one, oh, wow. Colin Smythe does one, and then they get people like Claire Foy does one. Oh, amazing! Um, uh, I think um, David Tennant's got one in there. Yeah, yeah David, David Tennant, yeah, Derek Ten- Jacoby, yeah. Yeah, it's you know that's 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 some heavy hitters. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward. I'm really looking forward to hearing that. Forward, Neil Gaiman. Intro by Colin Smythe. I don't know who reads those. Well, probably Neil Gaiman. They, probably Neil Gaiman. And- they're all yeah. I mean, the Colin. They got Colin into the into the studio, so it's very oh, likely cool. that he did, that he did his own. Um, and Neil does tend to read his own, mm. uh, read his own prologues and uh, and forwards. So it'd be weird hearing. A bit like that, not read by Neil Gaiman, actually, if it was written by him. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. You find yourself trying to do a Neil Gaiman impression. Yeah, exactly. And he's got such a distinctive cadence. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, like Terry, he reads that he wrote out, he wrote, he writes out loud. He always reads his stuff out loud, yeah. which is why Neil's stuff always reads, you can, you can always perform it really beautifully. Yeah. As much as I think we could babble on forever, we have still got a whole <laughs> interview to listen to. So before we go to that, Mark, is there anything else you want to plug? Or anything uh, well, not talked about that you want to talk about? So the tour is coming up. Um, yeah, please come. If you've not seen The Magic of Terry Pratchett, and I'm sure many of you haven't, uh, although a lot of you had, I, I met a lot of True Summit, you fret listeners uh, yeah. over the over the run. Um, but yes, uh, please do come see me on tour. You can find it on my website. Um, Links and, will be down below. Yeah, and that's pretty much the main thing, to be honest. Uh, follow me on the site i will continue to refer to as twitter until i die or it dies uh <laughs> or elon musk dies it's me or the um, wallpaper <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i will do my best to um yeah i will do my best to uh keep people informed of that sort of thing um and cool. my Ill, my possibly ill-advised novel and other projects and sign up to mark's newsletter which again will be oh, linked yes. down below Glom of knit. Yes, please do. Glom of knit. Yeah, there will be a there will be a new glom of knit soon. I tend to put bits of um, unpublished writing in my in glom of knit as well. So uh, my writing, not Terry Pratchett's. Yeah. Sadly, so, um, it's <laughs> just just scraps you find on the street. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Occasionally, but if you find Google's hard drives and grab a bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if you find it, that's if you go on my Substack page, uh, you can actually read every edition. They all have bits of writing from different books I'm doing. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I I would recommend. Lovely. All right then. Would you, Mark, like to introduce us to the second half of the podcast? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so uh, the interview you're about to hear was recorded live at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival at the Gilded Balloon. Don't ask me what date, but it was a Wednesday. It's with a small but enthusiastic audience in the room. It has been beautifully cleared up by Francine, and uh, it features uh, me talking in conversation with the great comic impressionist and actor John Culture. Enjoy. What I've done every day, I try and get guests for the show. That's an amazing guest. Rob Wilkins was a guest a couple of weeks ago. I'm sorry you missed that, but that was really fun. Uh, you know, Stuart Goldsworth has been a guest. Um, John Robertson's been a guest. Mitch Ben has been a guest. Uh, all talking about how much they love Terry. Now, my guest today 
was you are privileged to be in the presence of, and like the rest of the fucking audience, you didn't turn up. I've been hoping I could get all week, all, all this time, because um, they've been my constant companion during the fringe. And I'll explain why when they're on stage. But please, ladies and gentlemen, and those listening at home, because I am podcasting this shit, please <laughs> welcome to the stage John Coulson. Hiya. Good to see you. Thank you for having me along. Here I am. You're welcome. I was, I've been desperate. You, you were the first person on the list of people I wanted to get on. Uh, everybody. So I'm glad we finally got you. Uh, Rob, Rob, Rob Wilkins was second. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. So the, what, the reason I, was, I said that you've been my constant companion through this French is you did the guards boxes, audio books recently. As anyone who's seen your poster outside and go, that looks familiar from the marketing campaign would have said. Yeah, that's the one. That's <laughs> the one. Uh, so when I knew I was doing the show, I knew those new audiobooks were coming out. I listened to every single there's a different reader per strap, right? One for the wizards, one for the witches, one for the guards. Well, and then uh, and I, I thought I'm gonna listen to one of each. So if anyone asks me a question and they want my opinion, I'll have an opinion. So I listened to a couple, I listened and enjoyed them all. And then I got to Guards Guards. And I enjoyed it so much, I went on to Men at Heart. And I enjoyed that so much, I went on to Theo Clay and Jingo, and now I'm at halfway through Nightwatch. <laughs> and I've just been doing them in order. Uh, I think you're, you're, you've done an amazing job with those books. I really, really, really like them. So, uh, what you've done with it? And I've got well, loads... kind of you to say, let me just jump in and say that for a start. So I've got Thank loads of questions about the voices you've chosen, yes. and why you did them, and about the experience of audiobooks. But let's go back to the beginning. Uh, how come? How did you end up with that gig? How did, how, how did that come about? I remember getting a phone call one afternoon. Uh, from my voiceover agents who uh, had been speaking to, to, to Rob Wilkins. And uh, would I like to do the Men at Arms series, uh, all eight volumes? And I, I've never said yes so quick to anything. Um, and I began, I was just finishing off a, a tour of uh, playing Les Dawson at the time. But a few, a few free days that was starting to appear, so I had gaps to, to make a start on the recording. So it meant uh, several trips across to Croydon, to Labricordia with Neil Gardner, who is a huge Terry Pratchett fan, knows all of Terry's works backwards, inside out, and he was a great director and guide for this series. And I, I got going pretty much straight away. Uh, but I, I've never uh, said yes more quickly than I did to that request. The money was that good. Oh, it was just—it <laughs> weren't nothing like that. It yeah. weren't nothing like that. It was—I I first, my, my first connection with uh, Terry Pratchett's work was um, providing some voices for some Cosgrove Hall cartoons. I remember the ones in the nineties. Yes. So, which voices did you do? Well, I, I can't remember. It was that long ago. Uh, but I, I did lots and lots. I did right. lots of various ones, and it was a very quick session. Uh, because they have a lot to record in a short period of time. Yeah, but I can ask that. Yes. Christopher Lee, yeah. um, Neil Morrissey was in it, uh, and, 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 and from One Foot in the Grave. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yes. So. And, and that was it, and I, I had a few sessions doing that. Um, and it was just it was just joyful. Um, so that was my first Terry Pratchett connection. And I, I just always loved his sense of humour and the rhythm of his writing. He will, he will begin a sentence and the, uh, the, the humour will go along at a certain pace 
And just when you think the punchline's coming, he'll change gear, and it will change, and then he'll go on to another set of description, rather like a sequence in some wonderful jazz music. And then just when you think that that punchline is coming, there'll be something else. And it rather reminds me of um, Rick Wakeman describing how, um, when he was playing Life on Mars, uh, with David Bowie. Oh, the unexpected course. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. I, I think Terry's writing is rather like that. Mm-hmm. The, there's the unexpected, the unexpected, and then a little bit more. And then almost uh, an inner footnote will be another little paradiddle. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just like watching a little jazz musician in, in literary form. And there's, there's no one does that like Terry. So had you read those books before you started, before you did the gig? Yes, I, I, I was familiar with them, but uh, doing, doing the gig, doing the voice recording has brought it to this life. It just fills your imagination a little more because you've actually got to deliver it with other voice artists. Uh, and so it was a wonderful first introduction to, to Terry. It was 1993, I think that was. Okay. So had you, read Terry's, had, you, had you read the books that you did, the Guard series, before you did... The audio? No, I hadn't. I, I hadn't. I, I was discovering them for the first time. I was completely captivated into it. Uh, because I think Terry's writing just draws you in like that. And in the way that uh, Sam Vimes, when the, in the first volumes, he's a, he's a drunk. He's almost... You don't expect him to be the hero. You expect that uh, Carrot is going to be the hero. Yeah. But then Sam Vimes, in a way that reflects life, um, he has a mixture of his own gumption and his own wisdom and his own nous. He's got a lovely sense of nous. And, and that guides him forward and makes certain things happen. And then the luck seems to be on his side. It's as if some other force above was watching him thinking, this fellow has what it takes. He needs to be in a position of the leader. Maybe even more than that. It's as if he's chosen. Let's, let's make things really work for Sam Vibes. And his ascendancy just follows on from that. So I remember I interviewed Nigel Kainer, I remember, book, yeah. uh, who did the first, the first half of the original audio book. I remember talking to him about his process. And he said, I flicked through it the night before, but I tried not to read it. I wanted to be surprised by the jokes. Yes. So is that, did you have a similar thing? Did you read them, like, did you prepare by reading the books, or did you discover them in, in the studio? I, I read the, the books to prepare for uh, the recording. So you go through and you annotate all the, all the characters, give them a different colour, uh, so that when you're reading it in that practical setting, yeah. so you know who's who. Essentially creating a script. Yes, exactly. So I've read it that way. But it didn't feel like preparing a script. Uh, you just feel completely drawn into this universe and to the imagination of Terry Pratchett, which is a, a, a wonderful... I always say that um, recording those books over all of those months in little grey recording box in Croydon from October to February, um, to have Terry Pratchett's imagination as your companion was a very special thing. And it's, I mean, it's a job of work doing an audio book as well. That's not an easy job. No, especially, I can remember doing some Doctor Who audio books. Uh, the first one I ever did was uh, The Ark in Space. And I was very familiar with that story, but I'd also been very familiar with just doing voiceover sprints, where you're doing 40 seconds, 60 seconds, just a quick hit, lots and lots and lots of takes in a very meticulous way on one script over a short time. But then to just let the flow go into an audio book 
Uh, it's like learning a new code of rugby. Uh, but you soon get into it. You soon just lapse back, read what's there, and just get into your rhythm. And let the way you see these worlds guides the way you read it. So where does each voice come from? Because I, because you do it quite, you do something different every one who's read these audio books, in that you go and gnaw them with two of the main characters. Yeah. Almost every other version of I've heard of those books does Vines as London. Yeah. And you go essentially Sean Bean, basically. Yeah. So where did where did those voices come from? Like for me, this is what I think. This is why I think I heard Vines, Sean Bean. I thought. Yeah. All right. One does not simply walk into veterinary's office. Uh, <laughs> uh, to uh, Nobby, was there a bit of step to in that? Maybe a little bit. I, I was thinking more Ken Campbell. Ah, yeah, that was Nobby Nobs. And then, how do you think of Ken Campbell, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to yeah. me, Nobby was very hunched over. He was kind of, you know, looking around like this. You know, his voice had a sort of a growl, this small, compact thing. So I, I saw Ken Campbell in my imagination there. And Colon, to me, sounded like Ronnie Barker in uh, Ronnie Barker in Open All Hours without a stutter. Yeah, maybe so. He was actually uh, based on uh, Mr. Backhouse, my English literature teacher in the 80s, okay. who had this sort of a Lancashire tour, but he was um, yeah. a very a dependable character within the, uh, the, the, the police force. And uh, it also allows him to be quite, quite humorous. Allowed him the scope to be surprised. I should think not Corporal Knox. You know what? Well, Mr. Vibes is not going to tolerate this. So he, he seemed to be that sort of soul, uh, capable of being in charge, but with a rather avuncular lovability mm. and a, an ability to be surprised and, and kick people off. Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm fully in control of this. I know what's happening. Oh, goodness gracious, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Which is absolutely perfect for the character. So, so but Vimes is the key one, right? So how yeah. did you get to that? You can only just um, say what's in your imagination. Uh, on, the, um, on the studio wall, there's a beautiful illustration of the cornucopia of, um, of, of Terry's characters. And Sam Vimes is there with a cigarette in his mouth. And to me, it was just Sean Bean. You know, it's just that kind of thing. He's someone who's got an house, you know, but he's very, he's very real. He's a, a real person, you know, no words or graces, no pretense. What there is at the root of him is practicality. Um, and that mouse guides him and he's able to adapt and he's able to be very warm and supportive, looking after his people, looking after the others in the team. But if anybody crosses him, like Carter and the later ones, you can also be very forceful. You know, you can travel to the scruff of the neck. The granite comes out. You will not mess with me. You will not. But he needs to, you know, press the pedal down and give it some real, as you would need to, yeah. in that situation. He's capable of doing that. Uh, some people say, you know, why do you sign uh, Vimes as Les Dawson? <laughs> it, was, it was Sean Bean. That would have been very different. Les would have been, you know, <laughs> this is Les Dawson. Let me point out. Which is very different to some burns. But yeah, that it, granite. Yeah. Grit and granite and nouse and experience. And able to make decisions like that. To me, that's what some Vimes was like. And I didn't consciously want to be different to the, the, the other brilliant narrations that have been uh, from Tony Robinson and Nigel Planer. And wonderful. Uh, I love the way they're very chirpy. 
There's a sort of, there's a lightness, there's a bouncing along sensibility, and there's a lovely rhythm that they've brought. To, to me, um, more book and the whole sense of the City Watch and the Men at Arms series, my imagination took me to a place as if it had been directed by Ridley Scott. You know, this is very medieval. It's gritty, it's oily, serious things happen. Um, and you know it's that kind of, yeah. You know, you need someone with the nouse of survivors to navigate that. Yes, and uh, you know, Sergeant Cole will go and sort this out, and yes, Nobby, you come with me, and you can. Oh, I don't want. What are you going to do that for? What are you going to do that for? And they all come up. And then Veterinari. When I saw the image of Veterinari, well, that is just Christopher Lee, <laughs> but to a different level altogether. His words simmer. He doesn't overstate things, it will be just placed there. I allow you to think about that. Do not go against. It would not be wise. That kind of feeling. So these characters crop up in a few books, so uh, across the series. So yeah. did was there a collaboration on on certain voices? Because Vimes, I haven't read, I think, who is it? Catherine Parkinson was Master's Regiment. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. Vimes turns up in Master's Regiment. So does she have you as a reference? Does she do you? Does she do does she do you doing Sean Bean doing Vimes? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. There was um, there was a sort of a, a, a guide list of broadly where all the characters have been placed. So you could do something like that. Not necessarily a carbon copy, but your own take upon it. But so long as it was in that area. So there was some uh, continuity. So so yes, I did hear some other other takes on various characters that, um, you know, Indira Barber had done and the Andy Serkis had done. Yeah. And you thought, right, okay, well, that, that's our ballpark. That's our voice bunker, as it were. Take it from within there. And then, of course, you've got this continuity of having uh, Peter Serafino as the deaf. Yes. Which, which he gets that voice really well. It's, he manages to make it sound doomy and warm at once, which is almost impossible. Yes. So, he sort of took it around here, didn't he? That kind of thing. Yes, I am deaf. I am a reaper, but this is a good thing. The reaper simply symbolizes a life well lived. The reapings have been positive. Now come with me. Yes, he symbols along. You need Bill Nye to, you know, be chirpy with the footnotes. And yes, of course, let me just leave this with you. Yes, anyway, back to the story. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what he does. He's just the right side of disinterested. Yeah, yes. Um, so, but those books get more complex, right? The violence gets more complex. Oh, yes, he does. It becomes, so as an actor, it's not just a voiceover job, that's an acting job. And it becomes, as an actor, that you're finding more things in that role as it goes along. So how did you tackle that? Did you find yourself, like, working on the character more outside? Or, did it, or was there a natural progression just in Terry's words? I think there's a, a natural progression in it. Um, as you go through the series, and the characters become more bedded in, and you see the, those worlds much more in your mind's eye, that guides you. You often hear that writers live by a, a sense that um, uh, uh, many writers have said, you know, let the characters guide you as you're writing. Let them guide you, which is a lovely um, narrativium, yes. Terry described it, didn't he? Which is how Terry used to write towards the end, especially. He said with yeah. rhymes, especially, 
he knew what Vimes would do. That's like, it. He, he would just give Vimes a job and watch what Vimes did. That's, right that's it. That's it. I think it's, it's similar when you're performing it. When you when when you start to build up that bank of familiarity, uh, that that weaves in, and this gives you the moods that you follow. Uh, I think by the time I got to Jingo, which is the fifth one in, uh, yeah, yeah, by that time you're familiar. You f- mm. you find the imagineering of the of these worlds in your mind's eye. You know where you are. All of these descriptions of vines can walk along the cobbles. And you know, in, in his thin soled boots, and by the feeling of the cobbles, how they move and the shape and where the dips are and where the cracks are, he knows exactly where he is. Almost like fingertips with braille. Yeah. He knows exactly. where he is in the city just by walking upon it. So Jingo's an interesting case. I was going to ask you about Jingo particularly, because Jingo is a story that involves caricatured Middle Eastern characters. And when I was, and one thing you, you start wondering when you get to that book, I was like, I wonder how he's going to tackle this, because that is a fine line between yeah. a caricature, between a familiar voice, and between something that could be conceived as a bit offensive if you get it wrong. Right, so how did you approach that? Uh, just understate them, really. Mm. Uh, re- reflect the accent, but just, but just understate it. Don't make it too caricatured. Don't make it too over-the-top, too gratuitous. Don't make it like, you know, something out of a dressing up box. Make them real characters. Real sort of, creates an edge in in the tone. And just play it as straight as you can, but relating to where they are and who they are. Just just take it, just don't go over the top, I think, is the answer to that. And that's the thing. There's loads of the text for that as well. The the conversations between Nobby and Polon about racism brilliant and you handle that and it's really really, I presume when you record it you're switching voice to voice like on the fly you're not recording you know I'm going to do all of Nobby's lines now I'm going to do all Fred's lines you're you're switching between the two I'd rather do that because when you've just read one passage that will then guide you as to how to say the next bit there's a a follow on so I'd rather not it could be just too arbitrary to just record all of those chunks Record all the others and it's all together like a jigsaw. I'd rather let it flow. So you're feeling the story and so you're feeling how to respond to the previous section. Yeah. And uh, I'd much rather do it like that. Let the story guide you. The other one I think is really interesting, because I have only half of the night watch, and I know that that's going to like, because that's a dramatic book. That's probably the closest he ever gets to writing a thriller. Yeah. And it's the ending is emotional and it's probably the most emotional thing he ever writes. So I'm, interested, I'm looking forward to find out, and that must have been like, like you, you go into those books thinking, I'm doing these comedy books, these funny books, and they are funny. Even, and even Nightwatch has got great, there's a bit where Vine puts ginger up and knocks his bum, you know, they're funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's loads of good jokes in it, and uh, 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 but when you get to that, that surprise you, you get to something that, and go, oh, you can see him getting better as a writer, and this is real dramatic meat. Yes, I can, I can remember uh, those parts of the recordings. This is where it's rather like a UFO abduction, where you just get into the reading and time passes differently. And three hours have passed, which have only felt like 10 minutes, because you're just um, sailing through this different mood, this different atmosphere, and into these different depths. And they give you that feeling. It, it, it's almost as if time changes. 
10 past 7 already? We, how can this be? It feels just like an instant. And it's always so welcome, the, um, the different moods and chapters that come. And they, uh, they, they just mount up in this intriguing way. Is there anything unexpected at Robin Foster Jr.? For example, right, this is what, um, so you give Nobby this cigarette, tar-soaked, slightly older voice, and he gets nightwash, you've got to do it as a little boy. So. Yes, exactly, you had to go up, a, you had to go up a gear. So, yes, he was over here, and you know, this is, you know, the Ken Campbell version. I think you have to go up here, you know, for to be young. You sort of imagine him as a puppy, a mischievous puppy with a wagging tail getting into places where he should be quicker. Young Sam Vimes as well. And Sam Vimes has to, okay, this is my younger self, right? Bit of responsibility, I've got to be, got to be fatherly to me myself. It's weird, but anyway, let's crack on with it. Young Sam up there, you know, and the inquisitiveness, and, and the... Uh, pulling on the leash, you can see there the Sam Vimes that he's going to be. And have the older Sam Vimes just supervising him to make sure that that stays on the right course. Was, um, I think only Terry could imagine those two side-by-side worlds and to make them interact in the way that they did. So one of the things Nigel Plainer told me about when he was doing it, because uh, obviously, you know, you pick an accent, the character's got to be distinct. And he hadn't read ahead. He never read ahead. He found him that day. So when he got to Fred Colon in Guards Guards, and do you know where this is going? No, I don't, but I think we'll probably do it. He gave him a Northern Irish accent uh-huh. because he just needed to pick an accent. What's interesting is Nigel Plainer, by his own admission, he told me this, can't do a Northern Irish accent. <laughs> but he didn't know that Fred Colon was a major character that would be in several books. <laughs> and then was just left with this voice that he had to now do every single time. Yeah. Uh, when you listen to it, like, bless him, he tries really hard. And you get, he pulls it off, he does pull it off. But it is, uh, you kind of go, okay, Fred Colon's Northern Irish in this version, all right. Uh, so is there anything like that where you kind of went, where you sort of went, okay, this person has to be like, this incidental, what you think is an incidental character. How do you choose the voices for an incidental character? Uh, we were very lucky at the um, Land Recordio where all the recordings were going on. Neil Gardner being such a fan, he had this poster on the wall of all those beautiful illustrations. And you just look at the various faces, and this will trigger a sound in your mind that you think will be right for them. I can remember Gaspo the Wonder Dog. You and Jason Isaacs do Gaspo very similar. Oh, right, yes. yes. You both do, but I thought there must be some cross-reference there, because you both do the same thing. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, you just think of a dog, you know, going in their speech, you know, <laughs> inquisitively running around, looking around, things like that, you know. And then you just think of a dog like, you know, inquisitive copy. Yeah, okay, well, this one, yeah, I'll come. Give me my pedigree chump. Yep, that's right. <laughs> just scooting through, just being lucky. Yeah. Just being amiable and being lucky and having things on your side. Um, I think we always would stop the recordings at those times when a new voice had come along. We had to find right who is this character? Who should we put to it? And I'd, I'd go back through the library of people I'd known or worked with or from anywhere really. And think right, okay, let's do this character as. Sometimes I think of um, people I've worked for in the past 
I remember I used to be a glass collector when I was 15 years old. I was a glass collector in a social club. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the managers sounded a bit like this. And I, I know that this was one of the characters I did for one of the generics who were at some of the, uh, the meetings in the, in, the, in the squares and so on. This was someone who I could refer to. And you, you build up lots and lots of them like that. Um, wherever you just raid the library in your mind and just try to make lots of, uh, make sure they're all contrasting. And then just write down a little footnote. Uh, so for when they come again, three volumes later, <laughs> yeah. you can go back and go, okay, okay, the manager, the manager of the bar of St. Anne's Social Club, right, back to him. And it'll just click you in. It's such a cornucopia of characters that you, you, you've got to um, have your notes ready to refer back to your thesaurus of the characters. My favourite thing you do in all of them, and it's... It's an, I mean, it's one of those things where I'm sure you looked at it and went, I know I'm there with this. This is going to be amazing. Am I allowed to do it? Okay, we're doing it. Bloody stupid Johnson. <laughs> oh, yes, Has anyone heard the, these audiobooks? The guards audiobooks, right. Like, now? Right. What, tell us what you do with Bloody Stupid Johnson. Well, Bloody Stupid Johnson, who else could Terry have been referring to? <laughs> <laughs> Quite honestly. See, I, I think, well, you know, there he is. <laughs> They were, I mean, it seemed to be uh, gifted on a plate, really. And, uh, uh, and the more instinctively, uh, you know, we thought about it, uh, that, that, that would Terry have approved this? Well, I think he would have done it. That's, <laughs> that's clearly who he meant. Well, Terry was interviewed by Boris Johnson in 1998 for The Telegraph. I used a quote from it in the other show. And the quote is, uh, Ashley, if you could do this, I fucking love it. The quote is... Uh, I still don't understand the appeal, but if I did understand it, I would crib it. If I did understand the, his ideas, I would crib it. It's, hang on, let me just let me yeah, that, it's, Which one of them was saying that? So, uh, so Boris Johnson says in the prose, I still, hang on, do you know what? Hang on, I'm going to get this exactly right. Talk amongst yourselves while I look at the laptop, right? Yes, <laughs> let's get, let's, let's get. He's going over to the laptop now and that's the, uh, the National Googling Championships. So you have a job in here because the signal's not been terribly good over recent times, but the laptop is on the chair now. And uh, I think there's enough signal there. Don't you think, uh, I was, uh, Frank, uh, how do you think this is going to be? Yeah, I think he's doing a very great approach to, you know, uh, you know, to Google at this kind of speed is uh, not quite amazing. I found it wicked. <laughs> Now that and that's that's from that's Johnson's bright bright state in an interview with Terry Pratchett. Yeah, I I I I I'm, I'm still baffled by the, the scale of his success. But then, if I did understand the the, the formula, I crib it. I would crib it. Isn't that like Boris Johnson's ever? Yes, I think it is because it's sort of um, it's just. Cobbled together, it's almost as if each word was welded to the last. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand why everyone read this old shit. If I didn't understand it, I'd steal his ideas. Oh, yeah, well, like, exactly. I, I don't know, but I'll pitch what's useful. Thank you for. Let's build a career on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who else could he have meant? So no, exactly. it could have only have been that way. Um, so moving away from the audiobooks themselves. So uh, I uh, Rob tech, Rob Wilkins texted me earlier on today. Oh. Uh, when he saw, because he's like, I put on my Instagram that you were coming on, uh, and Rob said, ask him about the stargazing night. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, this was, um, this was an occasion where I, I did meet Terry. And he was 
just the most enigmatic soul you could wish to meet. The person you'd expect him to be, he was exactly that. There's not many people who are recognisable from their silhouette, um, but Terry certainly was. He was uh, great friends with Sir Patrick Moore, and on many recordings of the sky at night, um, you would find Sir Terry would go along, and he would join in with the um, with the star parties, the stargazing sessions. Many of them were uh, for the, I remember one for the Percy and Meachie showers, and there were many uh, all sorts of sound recording devices that were lined up that could catch the sound of of Percy and Meteors as they came in, and they sounded like some sort of um, you know, 80s synthesizer effect, you know, as, as, the, as they pierced the atmosphere. Uh, and there was one memorable occasion for a total eclipse of the moon uh, in 2007. And it was a beautifully clear night. Very often, the weather doesn't play ball in astronomy, but this night it, it, it was. Uh, and in Patrick Moore's garden in Selsey, it was the night of the eclipse of the moon is perfectly clear. And I remember being there, Sir Patrick was there ready to um, record his sections for this episode of the Sky at Night to guide everybody through the lunar eclipse. Uh, Dr. Brian May was there, and also Terry Pratchett, just looking up skywards, chatting to Sir Patrick. And I remember uh, Brian May saying, you know, aren't we lucky? Aren't we really lucky? You know, in 2007, it's no better place to be than in Patrick Moscow from the eclipse of the moon. Aren't we lucky? And it was just so mystical. Um, and as the as the moon passed into the shadow of the earth and turned this beautiful brick red, almost as if Mars had come closer to have a visit. And then there you see Terry Pratchett, just his silhouette. Uh, with the hats and the beard looking upwards at the eclipsed moon. And this was the this was the sort of scene that Terry himself would have written. It was as if he was in the middle of his own story. And it was quite an out-of-body out of experience. Uh, and, yeah, he would always be there. Uh, I think at the time of um, Patrick Moore's funeral, um, we'd all come back to Farthing's. There were many uh, luminaries of astronomy there, Dr. Paul Abel, Pete Lawrence, Dr. Brian May, Peter Catamol, who was a, a geology expert, but for other planets. He knows about all the rock formations on Mars and Titan. Uh, John Zarnecki, who would send probes to, um, to Titan as well. Very often you'd see him there on these occasions. Um, and just to see everybody at Patrick Moore's funeral, there was a candle there. Patrick always said, Yes, my funeral, when you're back there, uh, there's a cap. Light a candle. Light a candle, I promise. I promise I'll blow it out. I will. I will blow that candle out if it kills me. <laughs> 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 and, uh, but he was already in the next realm by then, so he perhaps hadn't thought it through. <laughs> there, was, yeah, there was a candle that we did light. Now, I'm not too sure whether we did blow it out. I think it was still going. And we thought, well, of course he wouldn't. Send Patrick free into the rest of the universe. He'll be exploring Neptune. He'd have forgotten that he said he'd do that. But nevertheless, Terry was there in this, almost like this high council of time lords. Was, was there. 
But um, yeah, Terry was that kind of soul. I also love the way he was, you know, you alluded it to the start. Um, you know, Terry made his death matter. Mm. Absolutely. He really, I loved his descriptions. I was very moved by his descriptions of how the sense of choosing yourself the time when you go, rather than cutting life short, I was very moved by the way he described that that actually enhances your life. It, 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 it lengthens it. He goes, oh, I won't go today. No, there's a World Cup game on. No, I won't go today. It's a beautiful sunny day. No, I won't go today. Somebody's coming to visit me. And always finding a sense to hold on. That was very, very... And he came up with that, because he said that because uh, in Oregon, in the US, it, euthanasia is legal. So they would, they give you the, the vial, they give you the drug to take whenever you're ready to take it. And most people never do. Because yeah. it's always, I've got another thing to do. Yeah, that is, that is yeah, it's beautiful. The way he described that was so very moving. It's only Terry who can really go there in that unique way. Well, the Patrick Moore thing, did you ever work out why his um, home was called Farthings? I think it was a, a coincidence. You think it's a coincidence? Uh, you know, everybody looks into the, the pun of far things yeah. and the universe and so on. But no, 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 not a bit of it. No, so that's what it's called. He was always very mischievous, uh, Patrick Moore. One occasion in his study, he would hold court. He'd be sitting in his chair, there would be brick red velvet curtains behind him in this part of his house that uh, had been built in the 1600s. And there was one guy who was, uh, you know, an electrical engineer, you know, uh, sort of doing a few little bits of maintenance around there. He says, so, uh, Patrick, of the, um, are the electrics normally okay in Farthings? No, 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 they've been lethal for years. <laughs> yeah, they've been lethal for years. Um, but he would hold courts there. Very often Terry would be there too, and you know, as just kindred spirits, you know, with, with this great love of things. Terry's uh, the telescope in Terry's observatory, it's on the grounds of his house, yeah. is called the Sir Patrick Moore Memorial Telescope. And it was called that a couple of years before Patrick Moore died. <laughs> he gave special permission to call it that. <laughs> yes, well, you know, I, I, I'm not memorialized yet, but I will be. He would always say that. I know I'm on the last lap now. I'm 89. I don't think I'll make 90. I'm very sure about that. Uh, but it doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. Doesn't bother me at all. I know I've not got much time left, and so I intend to spend the time as drunk as possible. <laughs> and pass me my gin. Which, by all accounts, applies to Terry as well, given the yes. amount of brandy now that he had in his coffee. It's a little bit cool to rub. Uh, yes. uh, right, so we've only got a few minutes left, so uh, I'd love some questions if anyone has any. Uh, either for John about the books, about, for me about Terry's life or the show, and we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, so, yes? Do we know, I think you're absolutely right about Mother Stupid Johnson, do we know if there are any other real life people that Terry based his characters on? Loads, actually. Uh, he used to write his own friends into the books, and he also occasionally held charity auctions for people. Like, um, Mr. Boggis is a real person. Uh, who's the guy, who's the necromancer at Anderson University? Dr. Hicks. Dr. Hicks. I've met Dr. Hicks. <laughs> um, he's a real person. So, yeah, there's lots, there's lots of people that actually got put in. Um, I don't know about uh, more bigger characters. I mean, also, his, his granny was Granny Weatherbacks. Uh, Esk was Brianna Pratchett, to an extent. They already borrowed from a lot of them. Apparently, Nanny Ong was, was literally somebody who lived in the village where he grew up. 
and just stole the character wholesale. But was there anything you came across when you went like that, apart from, from Boris Johnson, where you went, that's that person? Yes, I, I, I wonder. I, I think um, I, I think the main ones really. Um, Nobby was always going to be Ken Campbell. Vimes was going to be Sean Bean. Uh, bloody stupid Johnson. Who else? Yeah. But uh, but yes, he would always. His characters were so well conceived and imagined that it would always lead you quickly to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he didn't make, make you. You didn't have to look around. Uh, with, with too much, you know, it would snap into life very quickly and very beautifully. You based um, Rincewind, was partly, we were really, really Rincewind's hit, but Rincewind was partly based on Nicholas Lindhurst doing Rodney Trotter, which why it was what perfectly makes sense when you think about it, but it's also why the Color of Magic TV show, you're like, it's the wrong Trotter brother. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one that we did do. I don't, I don't believe you. I, I, think we, I think we went there. I'm starving, bloody hungry. <laughs> Nigel Blayner said that when he got to Rincewind, he went, he just looked at him and went, oh, okay. Yeah, I know who the, I know why they've asked me now. Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, there, so there are some of it, but I think that but I think in every case that character gets his own life and that moves becomes something else. It's a really good question. Anyone else? Yes. I've been eyeing up the pocket me both directors. Have you ever played for this world before play no, I'm not really a role-playing game type of guy. Uh, I know, but that's massively undermines my nerd credentials. Uh, I've heard it's great though, the GURPS game. Uh, I don't even know what GURPS means, it sounds like acid reflux, but I, um, but I heard it's very good. Yeah, the, the, those, the games are all good, there's a few board games, three, four video games. The first one, 1985. Uh, I know a lot about Terry <laughs> I think going reading an audio book and, and taking on all the characters, that, 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 that feels like a role-play game to me. Because you, you, you're just taking that trip through and trying to fit them all together. And it does have a role-play sensibility to it. And you could probably improvise on those characters now, I imagine you know them so well. Right. Yes, I, I think I've conducted a couple of interviews with Sam Vine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the Sean Bean style, you know. So you, I think I recorded uh, Parkinson interviewing Sean, Sean Bean, <laughs> Sam Vines, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just very proud of the team, you know, they've all got their own experience. I know, I know what the strengths are and I know what the weaknesses are, and, you know, sometimes that can work in the advantage, you know. If you want to send somebody, you know, if, if you need to wrong foot somebody, you know, just send, send Nobby Nobs across to them and he'll be so, you know, chaotic that they're not going to be able to think straight and it'll, it'll own their weaknesses and then we can come in and just get it nailed down, you know. Nice. Right, I reckon we've got time for one more question. So, yes. So, yeah, so you said more to read. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was Terry's suggestion. Terry's told me this time. I was just wondering the, the reason for this. My wife was never choose to be a speaker. I'm trying to persuade her to read one of the books, but I'm trying to think which would be the best to start. I'm not sure what would be the best. Well, is she a fan of audio books? Um, <laughs> not really, no. Fine, okay. <laughs> um, well, it depends what she's into, what kind of stuff she likes. Guards, Guards is a great starting point. Uh, the later ones are a bit richer, so Nightwatch is a great starting point. Um, Feet of Clay, I think, is great. Uh, Hogfather, I think, is a great starting one. Um, but depends kind of what sort of stuff she likes. 
really, because there's a, all human life is there. And then there's stuff like Nation, which is just an incredible book. And it wasn't this one, that's a not this one, it's one of the best, it's probably the best book he ever wrote. So, yeah, there's no, but I don't, like, describe it to me later and I'll tell you which book. <laughs> right, uh, right, I think we, that's all we've got time for, because um, the next show, get angry with me if I overrun. But you have all been lovely. Thank you so much. Uh, small, perfectly fond. I adore all of you. Uh, I do this every day with different guests every day, and it's always good. It's always brilliant. It's always my favourite bit of the day. Uh, but please give it up for my guest, John Paul Show.